HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is a guy named Austin Pressey. Now, Austin runs Wicked 7 Outdoors down in Texas, and his whole goal is to offer exotic animal hunts down in Texas that everybody can afford. So we're going to jump into this episode. I'm curious to hear about the meat behind his operation and uh, really hear what makes him tick, how he got into this, where he's going with it, all of that good stuff. Let's jump in. I can't wait. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, so I know that last year was kind of a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers, but that's why we've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Now, Go Wild is a free social community that was built by outdoors men and women just like me and you. Not only are your photos not censored on Go Wild, they're actually encouraged. And they give you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. And as you earn those points, you can unlock awesome rewards like gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Check this out, though. If you create a free account you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. So go visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. I am joined by Austin Pressey out of Texas. Now, I just found out before the show that he grew up in Missouri. And so um, I've got a feeling that there's, there's a common thread with a lot of my recent podcast guests and trips that I've been on, and they have to do with Texas. And Texas is just a cool place. Um, so, Austin, we're going to dive into that. But first, thanks for being on the show, man. Absolutely, bro. Thank you for having me. Uh, why don't you share with people uh, a little bit about what you do down there? Yeah. So, I run, manage, and guide hunts across Texas. I've got access to properties in Colorado City, property in Gatesville, Rock Springs, Kerrville. Basically, if I can pick up a ranch... I'm going to pick one up and start figuring out how to guide and make some money on not only for myself, but for the ranches, because it is a, uh, it's an expensive thing to have as a ranch. You know, you've got feed bills, you've got taxes and everything that goes associated along with those. And a lot of ranches need help making money. And that's where kind of I come in and offer to help them out. Nice. So um, we, we've gone over, before the recording, a couple of the, of the species that you guide for, is there one that sticks out above everything else that you're like, man, if it's your first time coming down to hunt an exotic, this is what you should get get on? Or do you start people, do you kind of like wean them not off of other hunting, but into this? Like, do you start, start with something basic and then you work your way up to like the, the apex of the exotic world? So I like to 
I like to get the basic, not the basic, but the the primary three out of the way first for anybody that comes down to Texas. And if those don't fit their bill, I'm open to anything they want to hunt. But Axis, Black Buck, and Audad are kind of like, when you think exotics in Texas, those are the first three that pop into most people's minds. After that, it's like Neil Guy and Buffalo and uh, Fallow, Psycho, Addicts. Um, elk are considered uh, exotics here in Texas as well. Dang. So with elk, I, I did just hear that on the recent trip that I was on about elk being in Texas. Does that mean they fall, fall into all of the other exotic laws where you can basically hunt them without a license, not really a bag limit or anything? 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. There is no limit. What the heck? Dude. <laughs> it, it's a wild thing to process. It is. I just don't, I don't fully get it. I'm like, if you, if you have a spotlight in your vehicle with ammunition, not, you don't even have to have a gun. You could have a, a, a spotlight and an arrow in your vehicle and you're going to get busted for spotlighting animals. Down in Texas, it's like, oh, yeah, that's a fun Tuesday. Like, it's yeah, just it's, what, no big deal. Oh, hey, what are we doing tonight? Oh, yeah, it's Tuesday. We're just going to go kill everything that moves with thermals and binos. You might as well have RPGs and rocket launchers. Um, I mean, I'm still waiting for somebody to book a hunt with a howitzer. That'll top my career off. <laughs> you'll you'll just retire at that point. Like, all right, I'm done. After I've that, seen I'm it done. all. <laughs> um, how long have you been doing this? So I started in 2018. Midway to, through 2018, guiding prairie dog hunts in West Texas. Oh, nice. Dude, yeah, that was a lot of fun. That's that's a good thing to uh, get your feet wet with is prairie dogs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What? Get them out there at like three, 400 yards with just any caliber you can find. I was going to say, I <laughs> I would imagine that 223 is pretty popular just because of how expensive ammo is right now. Um, yeah. When When we did it in Colorado, I took my brother out and he had. He had a drug problem for a while. He was hooked on heroin. And uh, I told him, dude, if you get clean, if you go to this program and graduate from the program, like I'll buy you a gun. Well, I kind of overpromised because I was too poor to buy him a new gun. And so I gifted him my 28 Nosler. And so <laughs> we went out and we discovered that that gets expensive in a hurry, shooting prairie dogs with the 28 Nosler. But dude, we were shooting them at like yeah. seven, 800 yards. And even if you miss short, like the dirt and stuff that it kicks up basically disintegrates them. Um, oh yeah, it's a blast. Yeah, that's literally and figuratively. <laughs> literally. Oh man. Um, so you're you're guiding places all over the state of Texas, and you said you're you're kind of helping out farmers in the process. How much land are you typically guiding on? Like, what is people? It'll blow people's mind when they realize how much property there is to hunt and when you get access to one chunk you know it could be it could be 5000 acres it could be 80000 acres um what does that look like how much how much property are you typically guiding on so i guide on anywhere from 50 acres all the way up to i just picked up another ranch that was like 3500 acres nice and then back when i was doing prairie dog hunts it was 28000 acres dang so it it just it really varies depending upon what I can find and who needs, who needs help and what they need. Yeah. Are these, are these exotics typically, um, ones that they've bought and put on their property and let like a population grow or are these 
animals that have come from neighboring properties over a low fence? A little bit of both. Okay. Um, a majority of what I do is high fence, but um, there are some low fence properties as well. Um, some of these ranches, they'll go and buy, you know, if, if somebody comes out and shoots an axis, they'll go buy an axis. Other properties, they've got such an axis um, population, they don't need to really go buy more axis, but they'll use the money from that hunt to maybe buy an addicts or a scimitar horned orcs or a gims bot or, you know, any, any other types of species. Okay. And, and I feel like everything has to be prefaced with like, this is going to sound weird. Um, <laughs> they basically just go to like the exotic store. It's actually an auction, like a livestock deal and pick up whatever animal they want. That's, is that pretty accurate? Um, to an extent. Yeah. I mean, as long as they've got it available, um, there are animals like the red lechway, which are next to non-existent in the wild. Um, scimitar horned orcs, things like that. The scimitar are actually easier to get than a lechway now, but there's next to no scimitar horned orcs in the wild either. They just released, I think 12,000 of them the other day or 1200 of them. Sorry back in their natural habitat and that's all thanks to texas ranchers um but yeah essentially you want to go buy a giraffe a cape buffalo um hippos every once in a while come up caiman i mean there's if you can imagine it you can almost buy it in texas um up to and including tigers which that's a whole nother whole nother deal you can't hunt those in texas though that's that's a big no-no oh but, okay you can still get, like I said, Cape Buffalo. Saw a breeding pair of those go for six hundred and sixty thousand on auction the other day. Oh yeah, no big deal. That's yeah, yeah. that's a different level than getting a goldfish for your kid. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> add a little danger to the goldfish. <laughs> yeah, man i I've heard stories of people driving around, uh, like the highways or like the two lane roads, and and seeing giraffes just eating off the side of the road. I mean, typically they're in a, in an enclosure of some kind, but more kangaroos. I hear about kangaroos getting released or getting out and And then there's just wild populations. populations of kangaroos in Texas. Yeah, that happens. <laughs> I, I'm not, I, I got fooled on <laughs> April 1st. Um, I just hopped on social media for a minute and it said like Colorado was releasing a bunch of kangaroos and I was like, what, why would Colorado be releasing in immediately? Everyone's like, dude, Hey, Hey idiot. It's April 1st. Like it's a joke. And I was like, Oh good. I don't, I don't think I'd care for that driving through the mountains and kangaroos bouncing around. I feel like I'd be in a zoo the whole time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's rough. Kangaroos are, um, they're tough. They're, uh, it's like hitting a pig. You don't, they don't bounce off and slide. You just pretty much a dead stop. Just destroy your vehicle. I, I would imagine, I would imagine even like daily commutes would become interesting with all of these different animals. Um, I don't drive anywhere at dusk. Yeah, I just don't. I stay off the highways at, around that time because it's hard for me not to want to take the ditch after an access every once in a while. <laughs> but rules and standards and you know legal reasons, I can't do that. Yeah. And, uh, so no, I mean so you you'll can, see fifty you, to sixty deer at a time. You can basically like shoot anything you want, any time of day you want, as long as it's exotic. But I did hear that 
uh, that running them down with your vehicle is frowned upon. Yeah, very frowned upon. Um, and to preface the anything, anywhere, anytime deal, you have to have landowner permission. You have to, it cannot be on a public roadway. Um, this isn't the wild west. Like you can't just go, you know, highway poaching, road road booze cruising. Can't do that down here. That's really frowned upon. Like you'll lose your vehicle, your truck, your guns. You'll lose everything. Yeah. Yeah. So you have some rules. You just have to make it seem a little bit more civilized than just do whatever you want whenever you want. Yeah, for the most part. How, how'd you get into this? Because I'd imagine being from Missouri, that's not just like everybody's career path. Like, oh, I'm just going to go kill a bunch of amazing animals on awesome property in Texas. Yeah. So it was difficult to say the least. Um, whenever I first moved from Missouri, I wasn't 100% sure about high fence hunting. You know what I mean? Like I still had that, Oh, high fence is shooting fish in the barrel thing. Yep. Well, after being in the industry, you kind of learn that's not always the case. It's it's definitely different. You know, we've got some high fence ranches that are the size of Rhode Island, uh, King Ranch being one of them. But it just it all started from wanting to offer white collar hunts at blue collar prices is really why I started what I'm what I do. Yeah. And you know, you you can go shoot a $6,000 axis, but I want to find the ranch that has $2,500 axis or $3,000 axis that somebody can save up for. It might take them a whole year. It might take them two or three months to save up to hunt an axis, but I wanted to offer a full hunt package at a price that just about anybody can afford. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I, I feel like when people think about hunting the West, if they think about hunting down in Texas, they always think I'm going to have to have ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 to do it. And they just don't even pursue it because there's that stigma with it, that it's a rich man's game. And part of the reason, um, for doing the Western rookie podcast is to kind of break down those barriers to entry for people. I don't want people to, to think about it and immediately dismiss it as not an option because of the cost, because if you put your mind to it, if you, I mean, like you said, it might take a little while to save up, uh, but there's hunting opportunities all over the country for people, even as non-residents. Yeah. Some states it's going to be harder than others, but this last hunt I went on, it cost me like, I think, I want to say it was $53 after the $5 um, uh, electronic fee or whatever. But 48 yeah. bucks for five days of hunting down in Texas. Like, yeah, and anybody can you do can, that. Absolutely. And that license carries, you know, yeah, it's a five-day license, but that includes your access to fallow, your psycho, all your exotics, plus your pigs. And actually, I, don't, I think in some parts they dismissed needing a hunting license for pigs because yeah. they're trying to eradicate the problem. Yeah, the only reason that I bought it was for coyotes and bobcat. They said yeah. those are the only things that we're going to be shooting that you actually need a license for. And so yep. I was like, well, dude, if I come across a bobcat and I can't pull the trigger because I was – stingy about 48 bucks like i'm not going to be happy unfortunately yeah. i didn't but we ended up killing i think our group ended up killing like 150 pigs and 14 or 18 coyotes from the helicopter and then yeah and then we probably got just shy of another 50 uh with thermals at night so i'm like dude good day. that was <laughs> that was amazing to me yeah that's a really good day um and that's another thing a lot of people don't realize is 
I mean, people have seen the the show that came on years ago about hunting pigs in Texas, but a lot of these ranches are no charge for pigs. I mean, now granted, you've got a book and access to black buck, something else. Yeah. But you can you can go out with these ranches and go shoot some pigs on their property just to kind of help mitigate their population. Not only do you get a good source of meat, but you also get a great time doing it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I've noticed that that happens quite a bit um, with ranchers. It's like, if we have a problem animal and you're down here to hunt something else, like you can just go out and do that for free. That's kind of how it was with this. It's like we paid for um, a helicopter hunt. Um, A bunch of people from all over the place, a lot from Louisiana came in and so, yeah, they paid for the helicopter hunt, but then at night we would just go kill stuff with thermals. And it was just like, no, this is what we do for fun. And I'm like, dude, I know a lot of people who would pay good money just to do that side of it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm imagining it's the same thing with ranchers. Like, Hey, we've got a pig problem. Might as well let people hunt it, hunt them for free. And yeah. like we scratch your back, you scratch ours, that type of deal. What, what does it look like when you do get permission on a property? Um, what, what's like your first step to turning it into a place where you can hunt and uh, guide people on? That one, it, that one's more of a ranch by ranch basis. You know, everybody, the whole process is a little different. You kind of, you do a knock and talk, really. You just knock, talk to the landowner. We've all got Onyx, Hunt Stand. There's hundreds of hunting apps out there that you can find contact information i've gone as far as writing letters to hunt landowners you know just asking for hey can i set up a meeting with you to sit and talk with you yeah notice you had a ranch on xyz highway perfect you know um once i get my foot in the door then it's hey what would you like to do with your ranch are you turning a profit are you struggling are you you know and you'll have a lot of landowners tell you hey it's none of your business yeah no problem I noticed that you have XYZ animal. Um, I've got a client that would like to hunt one of those. What's your prices? Well, my price is, you know, 7,500 for whatever. The scimitar horn dogs. All right, cool. Great. Um, let me talk to my client. I'll get back to you. We'll touch base. Um, and that's kind of how you just, you just kind of feel the landowner out. Some of them are real standoffish because let's face it, outfitters on the most part do not have the greatest uh, rap sheet. Yeah. Um, I've heard and know of horror stories where they've come in, shot every animal off the place, never replaced anything, and just burned out of there. Well, that's not good management practice. Really, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to manage that landowner's herd while making them money. And then if I make money on the back end, that's great. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I'm not a millionaire by any stretch of the imagination. I live in a 12 by 20 home, tiny home. I just enjoy guiding hunts. Yeah. Uh, we've all heard saying, you know, find something you love and find a way to make money at it. This is what I love doing. But like I said, man, it just, it's all different. All landowners are, some are real easy to get along with. Some are, I've been working on one for about six months. I still have not gotten anywhere with him. I've met him, had the conversation. Can I get a price sheet? You know, some, sometimes it's not on your time. It's on their time. Yeah. No, I understand that. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not looking for permission to the extent that you are by any means. Um, (laughs) but yeah, there's just some people that they don't, they don't want people on it. Um, and for whatever reason, like even with coyotes, coyotes, it's kind of like the entry into hunting property here. It's like, Hey, 
would you be interested in letting us come on and shoot some coyotes? Do you have a coyote problem? This and that. And even with that, there's people like, man, people are like, man, I don't want you shooting my cows. And I'm like, uh, okay. Like I, I definitely know the difference between a cow and a coyote. (laughs) I'm like, I 30 pounds versus 300 pounds. Yeah. 3000 pounds. (laughs) Yeah. But I would imagine for you, even, uh, once you get on one property, if they know the ranchers next door, like even just sharing, like, you know, Bill Jones down the road, let me, lets me hunt his property. You can talk to him or, or they'll actually, call the person for you i've had that in the past where it's like oh yeah let me call over to my buddy and see if you can get on his place too that's probably the word of mouth once that starts traveling probably gets you access pretty quick best way to win favor is leave the place better than you leave the place better than it was when you got there yeah and that just that picks up favor with ranches around here they want to see somebody that cares just as much about their ranch as they do and if you can prove to them that you're not just here to make, you know, your 50 bucks and go home, that you actually care about something, you're far more likely to get access to friends of theirs property as well. Yeah. Are when, when you go onto these properties, um, are most of them pretty set up already for the animals as far as habitat, water, food, that type of stuff? Or are you doing any of that as a majority of them are? Okay. A majority of them are. Um, there are ones that I've suggested, like, hey, we need to put in a water tank. Hey, we need to do this. Just little things like that. Um, but if they're already set up, go time. Like, let's get in there and rock this thing. If they're not set up, hey, look, you know, this is this is my three-month plan. This is what I need from you at four months. This is what I need at six months, eight months, a year. Yeah. And usually, you know. You'll find out how serious the ranch is by how quick they're willing to start doing that stuff. Um, And same thing with me. I have no problem going out and buying feeders and buying things that the ranch needs. I I do it all the time. You know, hey, you need this? All right, cool. Um, I'll go get it. We'll work it out on the back end. Yeah. And so the ones that are set up, like I said, they're great. You can roll in and start rocking and start booking. The ones that aren't, it takes a while. It really does. It takes a while. Um, Fencing's not cheap. So if they want to do, if they want to be high fenced, none of that's cheap. And it takes a while to get a fencing crew out there to fence up a whole property. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine. I mean, when we're talking like thousands of acres Mm -hmm. to put a fence in, I did see one crew, they were working on a high fence while I was out there and I kind of wanted to just sit and watch because it was pretty interesting watching them put it up. They had, they had a big old skid steer out there. They had the spool of fencing and they were just kind of like, working one at a time. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. That goes a lot quicker here. The properties are so small. You don't even get heavy equipment to do it. You just do it all by hand. Well, unrolling hog panel and trying to get it staked and tight. Oh gosh, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, um, that's not the easiest of jobs. That's why I I prefer guiding over fencing. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you got into this industry. Um, what, what do you like guiding for the most? Do you have a species? Do you have a certain type of maybe hunter? Like the guys who come out with their bow and want to kill something. Is that like, all right, these guys are serious or is it like, ah, these guys think they're better than everyone else. (laughs) No, it's, um, man, I'll I'll be honest. I I love guiding kids, putting kids on their first exotics or their first animal ever. Yeah. 
there's nothing better than that and then followed it up with the bow hunters because bow hunt that's all i do anymore i don't rifle hunt i don't shoot anything with a rifle yeah um those and that's not taken away from rifle hunters from muzzleloader handgun shotgun anything like that like i'm i'm all for if you want to come hunt let's go hunt let's go hunt in the method that you want to do it in but kids bow hunters and then everybody else kind of falls in those are my my preferred ones as far as animals oh mark horror pretty cool they're a, a goat species out of pakistan that we have here in texas yeah those are killer to go guide hunts for they're tough they don't want to stand still they don't they're not on any schedule except for theirs and don't think that you're going to go change their mind. Yeah. But then, you know, black buck are fun to guide for axes are extremely difficult because axes are afraid of the grass that they stand on. Um, all dad, all dad are really cool. Um, another African sheep species. Well, pseudo sheep goat. Nobody really knows what an all dad is. It's just an all dad, <laughs> but, um, those are a blast. I've got those here on my 50 acres. And uh, we do spot and stock because on that, they just, they do whatever they want. And that's all there is to them. Yeah. But, um, I think one of the coolest ones I did here recently was a Buffalo hunt. That was a little different. <laughs> how, how much <laughs> does a Buffalo actually weigh? I mean, they've got to be close to a ton. Uh, the one we shot was 1700 pounds. Jeez. Yeah. And I think a 13 year old kid shot him. I think that's how old he was. Was that was that rifle or bow? Yeah, that was okay. that was rifle, dude. Like as soon as he shot it, he's like, "Can we go get it?" And I'm like, "No, no, no. <laughs> We're gonna sit here for a minute. <laughs> We're gonna wait a while." All of all the other buffalo were standing around it, and they were like nudging it, trying to pick it up and get it, you know, because they are a very herd conscious yeah. animal. They were trying to get him to stand back up. They were trying to roll him over to get him on his feet. It was crazy. Like I've never seen anything <laughs> like that in my life. Oh, like I want to go, I, I kind of halfway want to go guide more buffalo hunts, but at the same time, when you're scooping out like 150 pounds worth of guts, it's not the easiest one. No, that one with. probably gets old in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the back hams weigh more than I do, and I weigh 150. Yeah. So, what? They're a heavy animal. When when people come down, I mean, how many how many days do you recommend they come and hunt for? It really depends on the species, okay. um, and. This isn't, I'm going to try not to do as much self-promotion as possible and promote other, other guys too. Um, if you go to another ranch, just make sure that you know, like, are you getting a three day, two night? Are you getting a one day, one night? Are you getting a day hunt? That all changes the scope of not only pricing, but your experience. So if you want to come in and shoot what I call a shoot and scoop, I've got the hunt for you. It's an all dad hunt. We can get in there in an afternoon, get it done, get out and go home. If you want to take seven days, we can go out to West Texas and go chase them around the mountains. Yeah. And you might end up with one. Might. <laughs> I, but it really does depend on, on what your budget is and what you're after. Yeah. No, I think it's cool. Like that, that you can, cater to people that you've got the different properties and the locations that you can take people. Um, you know, cause there are those guys where they're like, dude, I've got two days or we're, we've got a bachelor party. We all want to pull the trigger. Um, like how do we go about that? I, I prefer the mystery of it. I like the uncertainty. I, I don't want to know for a fact that I'm going to go out and kill something. 
because that, I don't know. I think maybe that's just the whitetail hunter in me sitting in a tree stand and maybe seeing something, maybe not, maybe getting a shot after, you know, 30 days in the stand throughout the season. There's, that's what makes it so exciting when it does happen. But I totally get it, you know. I, I've got a much more free schedule than a lot of people. And so if it was like, dude, I can only get out one weekend, I would want to know, like, hey, I'm going to go bring some bring some meat back. And it sounds like the meat on some of these animals is pretty good. I'm guessing on some of the goat species it's not, not nearly as much. Dude, <laughs> I had a client come to Mark Horror a while back. He paid 19000 $19,400 for this mark whore, $500 an inch. I think it was like right at 30, 35, 36, 36, 37 inches. And uh, he goes, take it to your taxidermist. I want a full body mount. You can have the meat. I've got to get on a plane. I'll see you later. Flew in, stayed the night, flew out. Jeez. That mark whore meat, it, whenever you come down to Kerrville here in a few weeks, or whenever that happens, swing by the house. I'll load you up with some hardcore meat. You take that home and try it. Dude, I promise you'll like it. That's exciting. I've, yeah, I, I feel like I would basically be a guinea pig just testing every single thing out if I moved down there. And, and now, I mean, all the information's out online. You can find recipes for anything. But that's got to be a little bit intimidating moving down there and then trying to figure out how to hunt. I don't even know. Is there a number out of how many huntable species there are in Texas? I mean, both, both exotic and not, it's gotta be in the hundreds of, oh, I'm, I'm sure. yeah. Um, and trying to figure out each one of them, their movements, like unless you grow up in it or, you know, you're just doing it full time. Like, like you, I'm sure there, the learning curve happens pretty quickly once you're actually doing it all the time. So, and here's the bad thing about Texas, right? I grew up in Missouri, tons of public land. Texas, not a whole lot of it, you know? Um, and to, to come down for, let's say, a week and try to hunt a, a public land place here in the hill country or southeast Texas, you're going to burn up four or five days just figuring it out. And then you're going to hopefully get lucky enough to shoot one on your last two days. Because it's not, it's, it's so difficult to hunt public land in Texas because of how little there is and how many people go hunt Texas public land. Yeah. You can go secret time. You can go to San Angelo. Uh, I think it's Twin Buttes Park or something to that effect. You'll have to look it up. The public land hunting opportunity in San Angelo. You can actually hunt free range public land axes there. Dang. Um, I don't have a pin drop for where exactly, but I can tell you they're there. I I would love I'll probably to probably get something shot like that. by the community for saying that. But oh yeah, yeah. I I'm always like, dude. If I I bet you I'm making like small groups of enemies all over the country every time I tell people about opportunities and they're just like, dude, shut up. Don't no, 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 no. Don't tell them about my town. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure I've got a, a Rolodex of enemies for information I've given out about 
hunting in Texas. <laughs> oh yeah. What, what do you do like as a fun hunt when you're not guiding, when it's just you, I know you mentioned you're primarily a bow or you only bow hunt now. What is it that you're going after and, and what's kind of your technique for it? Um, as a guide, I haven't got to hunt at all this year. <laughs> oh, dang. Or last year. Yeah. It, it's, I'm, it's not that I'm that busy. It's just like, um, on the days that I'm not guiding, I just want to relax. I want to kick back. Um, I have done, and I'll get a lot of gruff for this, I guess. Something that's really fun for me is green hunts. So you have a green hunt in Africa where you can go dart a $60,000 rhino for seven grand, right? You get to do all the research. You get to, you get to put your hand in conservation. Yeah. Well, I've done that with our Marcor that we have with several other sheep and goat species as well. I think to me, the research and the, the conservation side of that is just as much fun as going out and shooting one. The only difference is, is instead of it hanging on your wall as, Hey, I shot this, like my, where's my black buck, like my black buck, you know, there's no putting him back out in the wild. He's down, he's dead. That's it. Well, with these green hunts, you can find a cape. You can have replicas made of the antlers, the horn, anything like that. The animal gets to go on and live, you know, it's, it's glorious life out on a ranch, but you still get to have something similar to the trophy that you got. Yeah. I think that's just as much fun. But as far as hunts and stuff, man, I, I just booked a turkey hunt the other day. Never shot a turkey before. So <laughs> I'm going to go shoot me a Rio just down uh, over in Eastland with my bow. Heck yeah. Well, dude, try it if, out. <laughs> if you want to, if you want to get up here anytime and shoot some turkeys, like you can have Adam. I tell people all the time. They're like, I, I talk so much crap on turkey hunting and turkey hunters and it's all in good fun. But I'm like, dude, I just don't care for them. I get really, really excited about it because I haven't like, typically it's only turkey or it's only coyote hunting leading up to turkey season. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so, like, deer hunting's been over for a while. Waterfowl's been over. But, yeah, when it comes to turkey, I have fun doing it. But I just – I think anything that there's a large group of people that are super gung-ho about, right, if they're like, oh, this is the greatest sport on the planet, it's the same thing with the Patriots, right? Everybody loved – oh, the Patriots are the greatest football team in the history. I'm like, just because of that, I really don't like them. And maybe that's – that's my rebellious streak or something. I don't know. Going against the flow. Um, it's but, a sacrilege, but I feel the same way about the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Dallas Cowboys, they're like, oh, it's America's team. I'm like, no, it's not. Maybe it was way back in the day. Not anymore. <laughs> Nobody cares about the Dallas Cowboys. My, my fan base is slowly dwindling. I can feel it. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Every now and then you got to poke the bear, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. I try to poke the bear once a week. Yeah. <laughs> Just it, it keeps you alive, right? Yep. Let's you know you're doing all right. <laughs> a lot of <laughs> a lot of honest feedback. All right, guys, I need to take a quick second to tell you about a product that I've been using for quite a while now. It's called Bull Elk Beard Oil. If you've spent any amount of time in the outdoors, whether it's on the mountain, in the marsh, or in the woods, you've felt the effects of the wind, the sun, and the cold on your face. What this product does, it helps you look better, feel more confident, and it helps your beard keep its moisture. 
Not to mention, it smells great. So now my wife can't complain as much after I come home from a long week of elk hunting. Now I need to tell you, I've gotten to know Brian the founder over the past couple months, and he is an awesome guy. Brian made sure that all of these oils are made out of clean products right here in the USA. He also loves to give back to the outdoor community, whether that's through fundraisers for public land acquisitions, or even helping donate money to cover the surgery cost of duck dogs. He's an amazing guy, and he makes an amazing product. So go check out bullelkbeardoil.com and be sure to check out the subscription options so that you don't have to run out of your favorite facial hair product. Plus, you can use the code NOMADIC and get 20% off your order. What was it that like turned you on to moving to Texas and doing this type of hunting? Well, I didn't really have a choice of moving to Texas. I moved here in 07 with my dad whenever he was chasing the oil and gas industry. So I, I lived way out in West Texas, didn't have anywhere to hunt. Got married, hunted in the hill country for the first time. I was actually whitetail hunting at my ex's brother-in-law's place. And uh, like climbed up in a tree with my 270 and sat there. You know, I didn't know my first Texas hunt. I didn't know anything about it hunting in texas yeah i'm sitting in this tree and i'm looking out across the field and this black thing comes walking across the field and i'm like what is this so I, like i text him text my ex-brother-in-law and i was like hey there's this black thing he said just shoot it i said i don't have tags <laughs> for this he goes just shoot it it's fine you know and this was low fence this was all free range yeah and i think this is what kicked in my my interest to exotics is this guy right here my black buck that is a 100% free range, low fence, black buck antelope. And that's pretty well what kicked it all off. Dang. I, I could imagine being, I feel like there needs to be a weekend course just on hunting in Texas. Like no matter what you go there for, like this is what you might see. This is what you do if oh, yeah. you encounter this animal. Um, yep. Yeah, to be out there, that that was something I wasn't expecting. And luckily, I had a conversation with my buddy before I went down. But on that 4,500 acres, we went out and checked trail cameras. And I'm like, oh, I love checking trail cameras. I was like, we're going to see some giant antlered white-tailed deer, maybe some turkey and coyote and all that stuff. And the first thing that came into frame on the very first camera that we checked was a fallow. And I'm like, what the heck is that, dude? And he's like, oh, just wait. There's going to be more. And, I mean, dude, there's, like, goats and donkeys and llamas and fallow and blackbuck and gimsbuck. And, I, I mean, anything and everything you could think of is coming across this trail camera. I'm like, dude, do you have a zoo here? He's like, oh, that's grandpa. I mean, grandpa just buys these exotic and and turns them loose and this and that. And I'm like, what the heck, man? It was so cool to see. And then to see them out there with white-tailed deer, it definitely had a different feel, and I wasn't expecting it. But, yeah, to, to prepare people, or maybe the shock and awe is even better. Maybe you just let them, like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, here comes a whole herd of buffalo. No big deal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's part of, like, the whole experience, right? You can be sitting there in a blind and see a 450 inch. You know, you're hunting, let's say, black buck. Um, and you have a 450 inch red stag walk by and you're like, Oh, 
you know, just jaws hit the floor when people see stuff like that and they don't, or even a big axis. Like, you know, you get a good 33, 34 inch axis that walks by everybody like starts getting the shakes and it's like, calm down. You're not hunting one of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I want to shoot it. Well, there's your opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> Pull the trigger. Yeah. And I mean, it's great marketing. It really is yeah. for, for businesses oh, yeah. and guides. Cause, uh, I hear stories. One of the guys that I, that I went hunting with this weekend, his name's Cody and he does uh, a lot of similar stuff to what you're doing. And he's like, dude, I have guys come down here and they're like, I want to shoot a black buck. And then they see an axis and they're like, oh man, I have to have one of those. And then he's just kind of like, all right, here. I'm like, dude, it seems like a video game at an arcade and you just got oh, like, yeah. you like swipe your card or you put more change in just so you can keep going. And he's like, yeah, that's kind of what it feels like sometimes. But it's like <laughs> all of a sudden, man, I want a red stag. I want this type of goat or sheep. And I, I'm like, that's probably kind of hard to keep up with sometimes. Yeah. But it makes sense, man. If I was down there, I would want to do the exact same thing. Like, oh, dude, I want to shoot one of those now. I want to shoot one of those. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think I like I like mounts and stuff. I don't have – I've got one shoulder mount, I think. But, like, sure. I think it was Steve Vernilla. He had a He had a giant black shelf, and he had all of the different European mounts, like, on their own, like, custom-sized shelf area. And I thought that was the coolest thing. And I've fallen in love with European mounts. I think they're awesome. There's so much you can do with them. And it would just be crazy to have all of those different stories. Because right now I've got, like, 15 European mounts of whitetail. I need to branch out and get some more variety in there. I'll send you a, a Euro of a, uh, Audad. Oh, you can have dude. like one of my little Audad use. That would be so crazy. I, good conversation starters. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Do you, do you do, so you said you take some of your stuff to the taxidermist or like that guy, he was like, Hey, take it to the taxidermist, keep the meat. Um, I would imagine a lot of people are getting shoulder mounts. Yeah. What, what is your process for, for caping them out? Do you cape them fully or do you, I guess, give, give some people an idea of how you go to prepare an animal in order to get a shoulder mount on it. Sure. So, you know, right immediately after the harvest, we go, we take their trophy photos, you know, we do, the just the hunter if the family's there the hunter and the family you know every once in a while they'll be like hey man you know jump in here with us we'll get somebody to take your picture too that's great but as soon as that's done we load in the truck and uh head down to the skin and wreck and i prefer using havalon just because the blades cost me anywhere from 37 cents to 43 cents a piece yeah i don't have to waste time sharpening time is money and time is wasted meat Yep. The longer something sits out in this 90 degree Texas heat, the more waste you're going to have. And I don't like waste. So from there, I keep the, I do the full thing. I go from the Achilles tendons on the back legs all the way to the uh, Atlas, you know, where the vertebrae and the skull meet. Yeah. I skin all the way up. And then if they're from out of state and they want to take their stuff to their own taxidermist, I'll keep the faces out. You know, so you do your circumference cuts around the back legs, cut a Y in between inside the back leg, split everything open, cut all the way to the chest, cir circumference cut around both ankles, then Y cut to the uh, sternum. 
from there you just peel everything down nice and then after that you know it's hey do you want me to take it to your taxidermist do you want me to take it to my taxidermist which which way you know and that's that's just kind of the way i've always done it and i don't know any better you know it's yeah i've been doing i've probably done 500 sheep in the last six months jeez uh, yeah i would imagine you get uh real fast at it i've yeah. watched well, videos. i'm still pretty slow <laughs> well i'm still slow at it but it works the, the process works it, it's cool when you get to do something over and over and over like that and you yeah. you know you kind of make a craft out of it and i 100 percent agree i'm not sponsored by havlon at all but I will sell the crap out of those on any hunt when people are like, what kind of knife? I'm like the greatest knife you'll ever use. And I just absolutely love them. The replaceable blades you can do like we do a full elk with one blade and it stays sharp as long as you know how to use it. You know, like there's people who are sawing through the outside of the Cape and I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. We're going to start over. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just a great tool to use when you're out there. Absolutely. Have you tried the uh, the seventy A's, the rounded tip ones instead of the point? No, I've only used the pointed tip. I'll send you a couple seventy A's. They'll change your life. I bet they look like a butter knife. I guess, and and it's like a, a sharp edge around the whole rounded mm -hmm. tip of it. I oh, yeah. that makes perfect sense. I mean, it comes in great hand when you're uh, getting. Yeah. Because you know, with the tip on the like the sixty XTs. You poke through the stomach. You're like, oh, God. Yep. But then 70 A's, you just run through it. Dude, that's brilliant. I don't know why I've never thought of that. It makes. I'll send you a couple. It makes sense. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna check that out. <laughs> now, I'm not going to do 500, 500 animals in six months. But, uh, you know, for the five a year that I shoot, I'll definitely put it to use. <laughs> yeah, I'm changing blades out. So every, I'll skin with one. So I think i have my little knockoff that i use to skin and then i have my actual havlon with the 70as right yeah. so my knockoff's got the 60 xts um and then my 70a havlon that's what i used to debone and quarter nice but the other one's just for skinning yeah i've i typically bring like a real solid knife like a sheath knife out with me and i don't mm -hmm. have necessarily like one brand that I use for that. Um, but m the bulk of the work is done with the Havlon. If there's any like caveman style stuff that I have to do where I'm just like in a dull blade, it's going to be with a big knife. But the Havlon, I just, it's surgical every time I pull oh, yeah. it out. It's awesome. They're, uh, they're sharp too. I've lost many inches of skin due to Havlon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. I, I stuck myself for the first time ever with one. A uh, month and a half ago, I was on a public mm. land hog hunt in Texas, and I literally had every single thing done on it. I mean, I had like 5% of processing this pig left, and I'm doing it, and I just poke it right into like the, the first knuckle crease on my pointer finger. And luckily, <laughs> it wasn't that far. I mean, like it just barely broke the skin. But it was still enough to be like, oh, I was so mad. And oh, yeah. I, I never forgive myself when I make stupid mistakes like that. But um, speaking of gear, what what other gear are you using out there? I mean, is it a lot of – I'm guessing it's a lot of spot and stock stuff that you do, um, especially, like, for bow hunters. 
Um, what what equipment do you use? Do you recommend it? Is there equipment that you're like, dude, I would not use this again or stay away from this? The main thing I tell a lot of people is bring what you're comfortable with. Yeah. If you want to try something new, go to the gun range, go to the bow range, shoot what you're comfortable with, because there are some high pressure situations. Um, as goofy as it sounds, like this weekend was a prime example. Had a client, they were coming and shooting goats and sheep. Right. That's that's kind of my bread and butter on weekends, goats and sheep. Yeah. She tries a new brand of arrow and a new broadhead. Shoots, misses, shoots, misses, shoots, misses, shoots. She sticks this goat on the last arrow and it charges down the hill straight at us. Don't don't bring anything you're not confident and comfortable with. Yeah. To hunt with. And that 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 doesn't just include Texas. That's across the whole country. Don't the day before elk season in Colorado, don't go buy a new rifle and not test it and test your scope, test your ammo, make sure that everything's right. You're going to set yourself up for failure. Yeah. So as far as for me, for gear, I prefer the Badlands gear and Vortex binos, right? I'm not sponsored by either one. Not yet anyway. Not yet. Someday, hopefully. (laughs) But Badlands gear, all their stuff is lifetime warranty. Vortex, all their stuff is lifetime warranty. I burn through gear. Yeah. I will tear a pair of pants up. I will tear shirts up. I will tear jackets up, gloves up. Badlands. I mean, I don't I don't have to go through a whole process of why I need something warranty claimed. It's, hey, I ripped this. Okay, send it back to us. We'll have you another one tomorrow. Yeah. That's, I mean... As a guide, and there's there's other companies that do it, do that exact thing. Badlands is just what I found that I'm I'm most comfortable and confident in. I haven't I haven't looked too much into their stuff. I bought a bunch of first light gear. Mm-hmm. First light's good. And it's it, it's really good. I enjoy it a lot, but the warranty side of it is where they're lacking. And I I looked at the box and as I was pulling stuff out of the box, it said like you have to have the original plastic tags attached, never worn. Um, all this stuff if you want to return it or replace it and I was like okay cool whatever I was like I already know I'm gonna like it pull everything apart I put the pants on well my dad bod has grown significantly over the years and I was (laughs) like dude these are tight like super tight to the point where it was uncomfortable after a while to have them buttoned and I was like, shoot, well, now I've worn them. They're out of the plastic. I threw all the plastic, the box, the packaging away. And I was like, there's a reason they put that, like, warning at the beginning. Well, then I go out. I still decided to wear them on a mountain lion hunt, poke right through on day one, like poke right through the pants. And that's where I was like, man, I should have found a company that had a better return policy or, you know, a replacement deal. The Vortex side of it, I actually just used their their via VIP warranty. I called them, got a time frame of how long it would take to get my binos fixed. Uh, I broke the, I don't even know what ring you would call it. Basically, the one that allows it to screw out, like the eye relief piece. Oh yeah, the, the in relief. And out. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I dropped, I dropped my binos. I you, drop them all the time. I mean, I use my stuff hard. And I dropped them on concrete one day, cracked that, and called them. And they're like, you know, this is the time frame. I think it was several weeks to send them in 
get them fixed and send them back. She's like, or what I can do is I can express that piece to you with instructions on how to fix it. And they did. And I literally sat in bed at like 11 PM last night fixing my binos and I love it. Now they work great. So, yeah. So I had, to, I had a similar thing happen with my eye relief cup on one of my vortex, um, hiking through the mountain, chasing sheep. It fell right on the eye cap, snapped the eye cap off. Well, luckily that was the week of, I think Christmas. And so I try not to book myself during Christmas because I do like to spend time with my family yeah. <laughs> every once in a while. And uh, so I called Vortex as soon as I got back to West Texas, to my dad's house. I said, hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a hunting guide. I dropped my Vortex. They broke. I said, you know, I've got another hunt coming up in three days. Lady on the other end of the phone, she goes, hey, I will overnight you a brand new set of binoculars. Just get ours to us within 30 days. She goes, they'll be there by 10 o'clock. 9.58 in the morning. The next morning, I had brand new binoculars. Jeez. That's so I was like. I was like, that's impressive. So I, I'm, I'm a sworn uh, sworn fan of Vortex for life. I mean, yeah. I, I'm, and I don't knock any other brands, right? Everybody's got their thing that they love. Yep. Swarovski, Nikon, um, Bushnell, you name it, whatever. They've all got pros and they've all got cons. I just haven't found a con with Vortex yet. Yep. And I use mine every day of the week. What uh, you know, what binos are you using? I've got the Crossfire 10 by 50s, I believe. Okay. You nice. know, and whenever I start doing more stuff out West Texas for the bigger Audad and all that, I'll probably upgrade to a higher end. But yeah. for $237, they, they work great for 200 yard, 300 yard. You know, hey, there's a 15, 18 inch black bug. There's a 28 inch axis. Yep. You know, I, I don't need. At the moment, I'm not saying I'll never need, but at the moment, I don't need a pair of binoculars that I can directly identify something at 1,500 yards across the mountain canyon. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I would imagine once you once you do start doing a lot more of those long-range deals or people are 100% set on, like, I want, I don't even know what measurements to use, like a 30-inch deer or, or ram or something like that. Um, to be able to identify that from a long way off would be beneficial. I just got, I just got a vortex spotting scope and mm. I love it. And I'll yeah. probably only use it a couple times a year because most of the hunting I do doesn't require it, but <laughs> it is freaking awesome. Um, yeah. I just know my favorite thing on the planet as far as hunting goes is to be sitting on a mountainside looking through binos yeah. or a spotting scope. I didn't do that growing up at all. I mean, like I just, I never even had binoculars with me in the woods when I was growing up. When I went out West and lived in Colorado, hunting out there, man, it, it's the most relaxing thing ever to just have a tiny little chair. I've got a, I think it's called an a light chair. It packs up into a bag. That's like the size of a Pringles can and you fold it out really? and it's only got two legs on the back of it. Um, and they've got like rubber feet on them, but you basically lean back in it almost like a recliner. And then you use your feet as the front leg. So you're pivoting just on two legs That's and cool. it's actually really, really comfortable. It's lightweight. So you can pack it up the mountain if you wanted to, doesn't take up much room, but it makes glassing so enjoyable. And once I started doing that, I was hooked. I'm like, I could come out here all week long 
and just rec record through a spotting scope, my binos, or just watch animals, even if I never pulled the trigger on one. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, optics are cool, man. I'm a, I'm a gear junkie. I don't know if you're like that. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have a gear junkie's budget. Um, but <laughs> like I always, anytime I see new stuff, I'm like, that is the coolest thing ever. I must have it. And, uh, oh, yeah. that's why I love going, I've fallen in love with going to hunting shows and expos now, like getting to see the new stuff. Um, I just torture myself, like seeing the brand new range finding scopes that Bluetooth to your phone and drop a pin on your hunting app. I'm like, that's so awesome. Also, have I to have it. <laughs> yeah. I, I really want it, babe. We're gonna have to sell the car in order to afford it. We're telling the kids. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um. So what's what's next for you, man? Is this is this it? Like, have you found the thing you absolutely love? Is there something new that you want to start guiding for? Um. Or are the species that you're doing right now just so great and you don't need to move on? pretty in love with where i'm at right now nice. i'm not saying it's not going to change right i would love nothing more than to get my full-on guide license in alaska and take off to alaska for six months out of the year then go guide caribou and moose and everything alaska has to offer but i think at the moment there are still animals that i haven't guided in texas yeah that i absolutely want to do before i make that change um i've got I, I talk a lot about Marcor, and that's partially because I'm obsessed with them. So I've got 21 Marcor straws. Um, you know, they're post-mortem harvested semen straws. Well, with there only being 2,400 Marcor left in the wild, I have a huge step in the conservation program for them. Yeah. And so I think one of my – I don't think it's one of my passions. It's one of my passions. I just haven't figured out how to get it done yet is I want to start a breeding Marcor project here that I can take my Marcor and send them back over to Pakistan and help repopulate that. And then once I do that, you know, I'll find another species that I really like and then do that with them to their back to their native habitat. But as far as this is it for me. Yeah, this is it. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm meant to do. Yeah. I feel, um, that doesn't mean that things change, you know, um, a year ago, I took, well, I took a couple of years off from doing this and chased a photography dream of mine. It was fun. Drove all over the country chasing race cars. It's cool stuff, but I just, the whole time I was doing that, I was thinking about this. Yeah. And so I was just like, all right, well, this is it. This is what I, I need to go back to doing. It's what I know. It's what I'm good at. Not boasting, not, you know, being anything but humble. Um, I just enjoy it. I enjoy it almost more than actually going out and pulling the trigger or shooting my bow or anything. Yeah, man. I, I feel like that's a pretty common, um, phrase or mentality that I hear from guides is they fall in love with helping other people basically experience what they love and, yeah. and getting somebody else on an animal is just as, if not more rewarding than doing it yourself. And Absolutely. that's, that's what I've fallen in love with, with podcasting. I love talking, man. I love sharing stories. I love BSing. And when I can help other people do the same thing, even if there was nobody listening, having these conversations are so much fun to me, like hearing why people love what they do. Um, but yeah, 
being able to share it, share the passions that we enjoy with other people, it's very, very rewarding. Absolutely. And if it sparks my whole, another thing that I'm just, I enjoy so much is if I can get one person to buy a hunting license next year, that only increases our conservation efforts for next year. Yep. You know what I mean? Like that's, it's no secret. It's no denying the fact that hunting license sales have been on the decline since 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. If I can help in some small way, one person buy another hunting license, that means we can push this for another year and get my kids closer to doing this. Yeah. And then whenever, you know, if my kids decide that they want to do this, have them push, you know, and, and teach them how to do it. And I hope the things that we enjoy never go away. Yeah. With all of the other crazy stuff that goes on in the world, this is the one thing I don't want to ever change. I love, I've got a passion for hunting. I've got a passion for the outdoors. Every day, somebody's trying to take that away from us. Yep. And it might be a breadcrumb, you know, a breadcrumb at a time. But eventually you get a whole piece out of a breadcrumb. Yeah. And if if we can do anything to prevent that, that's what I want to do. Yeah, no, that's good. I think I think the awareness side of it, um, you know, fighting back against the the organizations that are trying to take away take away bear hunting and and it, it seems like that's typically what they start with is bear and mountain lion. Um, yeah. and then they just keep chipping, you know there's no satisfaction or they're never satisfied with only taking that away. And unfortunately they're winning in certain places. Oh, they're absolutely winning. The, they're winning in a lot of places. Yeah. There's, there's been a couple big wins this year and there's been a couple big losses this year. Um, but yeah, to keep getting the awareness of that out to do, to do, um, the habitat work, to do the conservation work, like you said, with the more core, just, trying to help repopulate those in their native range. I feel like once people start getting into that side of it, it only increases the passion for the actual hunt. Absolutely. And they, they only sell a few tags a year yeah. in Pakistan for these hunts. Um, and they're, they're, they're not like, you know, I, I pride myself on being a hunting guide, but I would fail in comparison to those guys over there in Pakistan that are doing it. Oh yeah. What dude watching those hunts, the terrain that they're insane. hunting, I'm like, what the heck, man? Oh yeah, straight up a mountain. Yep. Straight up fourteen thousand feet. I'm at twenty three hundred feet and I struggle every day. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't I there's no way I could do it. I mean, it, give me a year over there and get acclimated, maybe. And that might be a dream of mine. Go over to Pakistan and actually hunt a markor in there. But I don't know about you. I don't have another hundred and sixty thousand dollars just Laying around willy nilly, um, I dropped that bag, you know, with another million in it somewhere. I just can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll help you look. I'm I'm missing mine as well. Um, well, dude, it's been awesome. Oh, it's been, <laughs> what's that? Oh, I said, I was agreeing with you. Yeah, I've had a blast. Yeah, it's been it's been awesome chatting, hearing about your passion. Um. Once we're off air, I've got a connection for you, hopefully for Alaska. Um, I've got a buddy who did some stuff up there. So, so once, once you get your fill of Texas and the conservation work and, um, everything that you're, that you're wanting to still accomplish there, 
Um, if you want to branch out to Alaska, hopefully I've got a good hookup for you. But uh, before we hop off, where can people find you on social media? Uh, where could they book a hunt with you? And uh, why don't you share that with, with the listeners? So Facebook, Instagram, TikTok are all at Wicked 7 Outdoors. Um, those are the best ways. If you want to email me to, in regards to booking hunts, it's Austin Pressy at Wicked 7 Outdoors.com. Other than that, um, I mean, most guys won't do this, but if, if you're interested in coming and booking a hunt and you're in the area of, te- you know, if you're anywhere in Texas and you want to come book a hunt with me, I'll have him link my phone number in the description or something like that. Yeah. Um, you guys can get a hold of me there. Um, I'll always answer the phone. If I don't answer the phone, it's because I'm hunting and I'm usually hunting six days a week. Sometimes so just leave me a voicemail, text me, anything like that. You know, I'll get back to them as soon as I can. Um, some places I hunter kind of remote, we don't have good cell service, but that's uh that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Sweet man. Dude, it's been awesome. And yeah, we're gonna keep in touch because like I said, I'm gonna be heading down there and I'm gonna be right near neck of the woods. I've never Come heard on. of Kerrville in my life until my buddy told me about the ranch. And I've heard that town name i bet you it's been 15 times in the last month and a half and and maybe it's like the whole deal with when you're looking for a car if you're looking for a certain model you always see that driving down the road that's probably what it actually is but dude thanks again man and uh let's stay in touch we'll do it thank you and that is going to wrap it up for this episode of the podcast man it was awesome to talk to austin and What a cool concept for a business to go and offer your services, not only to ranchers, but then also to uh, potential hunters. You kind of bridge that gap between the two. You get out on their property, you help them do management or whatever that looks like. And anyways, it was just so awesome to sit down and chat with Austin. And I look forward to seeing how he continues to move this this business forward. And man, I'm telling you, I tell this to everybody Alaska is a different animal. So I think as soon as he goes up there to check it out, he'll be done in Texas. He'll be up there for good long-term and that'd be awesome. I'd love to go hunt with him in, in either Texas or Alaska. Maybe I'll do Texas first. That way before he gets to Alaska, um, I can get that out of my system. But yeah, as soon as he's up there, I don't think I'm going to have any more opportunities to hunt Texas with him. I'm pumped though. I'm going to have, I've got a lot of trips coming up and it's really cool. I know, I know as listeners, you guys probably hear me say like, Hey, anytime you want, come on up and hunt, or they invite me to go hunt. I really do try to make a lot of those hunts happen. I love hunting with new people. I love connecting with new people, whether or not they've hunted before. I just like getting out and and being in a blind or going after ducks or whatever that looks like with, with new hunters, with people that I've never been in the field, on the water, in the woods with. So I'm pumped to go meet him in person, check out the the operation that he's got going and get some pointers on my buddy's property. We're going to see what we can do with that. All that to say, I'm pumped. Lots of good things coming up and hopefully you guys are getting out. Turkey season has kicked off officially in a lot of different places. We're still waiting here, but I just got my new turkey decoy in. I think I talked about that one on the podcast a while back. Somebody mentioned to me to get the funky chicken. Now it's like the flex tone, real skinny. It looks like 
It looks like just a normal rubber chicken, but it's all decked out like a Jake, but it's really skinny. I mean, it's like maybe softball size round at the biggest point. And so we'll see if that actually works. We'll see if the Toms get pissed and come in and uh, try to beat it up. Who knows? I've only got like nine or 10 days left, I think. It's going to be fun though. So until next time, always choose adventure and God bless.